Mm, do you smell that? That's the smell of a fresh podcast coming out of the oven. Yum, 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 yum. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to a beautiful show. On today's episode, we have Dan Scott. He's a neuroscience PhD. He's a psychosis researcher. We talk a lot about the brain, AI, his origin story, where he comes from, uh, machine brain interface. We talk about diabetes. He's actually a type 1 diabetic, our gut biome. Dan is a super, super, super music fan, so we talk about... You know, how can the music venues really survive this pandemic? We go through at least three amazing would-you-rathers, and we teleport to a gorgeous creek in the middle of summer. Um, you know, Dan kind of brings a scientific rigor to everything he does, even this podcast. And he's, if I say my soul myself, a really funny dude. We had a ton of fun, lots of laughs. I hope you enjoy. And please, subscribe to us on YouTube. You know, give us that five-star in the podcast app. Subscribe, and just tell your friends. You like listening, tell your friends. We want to be in everybody's ear, baby. Come on, let's go. Goes by the name Dan Scott. Uh, he's located in Dallas, Texas. He's coming to you live on this beautiful Sunday morning. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> yes, I can tell. Um, tell the people a little bit about your background. So, like, um, you... You have a what do you have a PhD in something? Yes, I have a PhD in neuroscience. Okay. Um, currently, I'm an instructor at the University of Texas Southwestern in the Department of Psychiatry. Oh. What do you teach yep. them? Uh, I don't actually teach anybody. Instructor is a faculty level, the lowest faculty level. Um. And I do research at, uh, at the university. We study psychosis in animal models. Take a step back. So neuroscience, that's what you're doing now at the glorious Southwestern Texas. And um, beforehand, you, you were born, you said, in uh, New York? Yes, I did my uh, graduate work at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in, in the Bronx. Where did you go to college? I went to college in Oberlin College in uh, Oberlin, Ohio. Is that where like Steve Jobs went for a little bit or no? No. I, I, no he I went to some other hippy dippy school. Reed, didn't he? Yes, you're right. It's Reed. But it's like Oberlin and Reed are similar, right? I, I mean, they're both small liberal arts colleges. What was that experience like? Oh, that was a lot of fun. Um, being a small campus, you know. How many people? Like 3,000. You know a lot of the people. You see them around often. Um, people go to the same events, the same local hangouts. Who were your people? Were you like a Rubik's Cube guy? I was an ultimate Frisbee player. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Okay. Yes. Um, the year before I got there, our team made it to the national, uh, the national championships. Wow. Uh, championship tournament, not the, not the finals. Um, then I arrived on campus and we started a slow decline <laughs> until uh, my senior year when we were at the bottom of our region. Wow, you really got to where you wanted to go. <laughs> um, you know, it was during this time, this was the early 2000s, when 
a lot of colleges in, in our region. We had like University of Michigan, Ohio State, um, like Purdue. Yeah. These real big schools with D1 programs, they didn't have Frisbee teams in like the late 90s I or see. the early 2000s. They just started doing them. And then when they became, you know, somewhat popular, the guys who were cut from varsity soccer and varsity, you know, other sports, which are, you know, incredible athletes who can just right. run super fast, you put them on a Frisbee team and you're going to blow away a bunch of liberal arts kids any day of the week. I see. That, I mean, that, that adds up, actually. What position did you play? Not really a, a position like sport. Uh, I guess you'd call me a long uh, instead of a handler. What's the difference? So the handlers are the ones who uh, make most of the downfield throws, move the disc around the, around the field. The longs are the ones who catch the long passes. And like, run with it. <laughs> you can't run with the frisbee. You can only throw it? Right, yeah. You, you catch it and then you stop. And then you have to throw it. Do you have like a couple of leg moves that you can do? And what does that mean? One leg can't leave the ground? Right. Yeah, but you then you foot which can which has to stay put and you can, you know, move your other foot around. Okay. I guess I never really knew how ultimate frisbee works. And uh, and then how do you score? You score by catching it in the end zone. Like a football. Like a football, yeah. So it's similar to football besides that in football you can also run with it. Right. And uh, you're not allowed to tackle people. In, in <laughs> what about like kicking the Frisbee? You cannot kick the Frisbee. Um, I see. I mean, you can block it with your foot. Like if you drop a pass, it's a turnover. Right. Or if the pass is blocked or intercepted, it's a turnover. If it's intercepted, they also have to just stand there and throw right. it? I mean, there's really no point in intercepting it if you can just Block knock it. it to the ground. It's the same, same thing, except if you intercept it, you're, you can throw it faster. Right. You know, if mm. uh, the game's going quick, catch it, throw it, get well, on your way. What did, you, what did you study in your free time from Ultimate Frisbee at Oberlin? I was a neuroscience major and a math minor. What's neuroscience? Neuroscience is study of the brain. Specifically the human brain or any brain? Um, any brain. Okay. Yeah, I know people like to study flies or whatever because that's like simple. Yeah. Ish. Um, you know, the, the goal of the life sciences is to study the human condition. But we can't be taking out human brains and doing experiments on them. So we have to use simpler systems. Uh, you know, one step down from the human would be the ape um, or, or monkeys. We are uh, – scientists ethically are trying to move away from uh, monkey research, although in some cases it's still vitally important, uh, especially in things like vaccine research uh, and, you know, immunology because of the uh, close relationship between humans and animals. And if you want to test uh, – you know, something like that, uh, 
in a, a vaccine specifically for the brain or does it matter? You're saying well, we want to see how the brain is affected. General for, for life sciences, but also the complexity of the monkey brain is such that it gives a much greater uh, similarity to the humans for, for testing, especially complex diseases of the brain, like schizophrenia. In fact, there's a region of the brain, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Oh, yeah, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. That's one of my favorite regions. Go ahead. It's yeah. um, funny. So this region is found to be disrupted in humans with schizophrenia, yet we cannot study this region in the mouse because it doesn't exist in the same way. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so for to study the effects of uh, or the role of that region, you really do have to use uh, monkeys for that. Unfortunate, we, we mourn the loss of those monkeys after we're done with the experiment. Do, 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 do. Um, and in fact, a lot of institutions don't even don't allow uh, monkeys because it's tough to house them. So actually, there's a big primate research uh, facility on St. Kitts, where uh, really? scientists from all over the U.S. will go out there for several months to do their work on uh, on monkeys. And uh, you know, it's is St. Kitts a U.S. Virgin Island? Yeah. And there's like a little loose there. They're like, we just need the money. Like, let's get these monkeys going. Like we got a big island. Let's just throw a bunch of monkeys on there, and you can do what you want with them. Um, I, I think it's just a you know consolidation of of resources, so you don't have to have monkey labs all over the place because of the complexity of it. You may as well do it in a centralized location. I'm not sure if if the St. Kitts government makes it makes that a, a better place to be. But in, in any case, all scientific research has to be approved uh, by uh, ethical consideration of on, uh, on U.S. standards. So. Have you seen the uh, Indiana Jones movie where they eat monkey brains as a soup? I, I did, yeah. Like, people still do that, you think? I think so. I mean... Interesting, right? Seems like a wrong thing to do. What about dolphin uh, brains? Have you done any study on that? I have not. Um, Seen anything? Uh, I mean, it would, it would be certainly they're fascinating animals. They really are. Uh, and so there's this series of um, brain atlases um, where the authors, what they did was they sliced through the brain very thin through, uh, you know, anterior to posterior, and then they map out all the brain, all the brain regions. So they've done this in a number of different species. You know, we use the atlas for mice and rats all the time in the lab, but they also have like, you know, rabbits, sheep, of course, and things yeah. like uh, lions and stuff there. So there's probably a, a dolphin uh, atlas that has been created, but yeah. they're not a regularly used experimental animal. No, and they shouldn't be, basically. Yeah, I think if you want... Like, what would you study a dolphin for? Either for social behavior, perhaps, because they're so socially adept, or for intelligence studies. And I yeah. think monkeys are just as good for that. And they're monkeys. more readily available, and they're closer to us. Otherwise, yeah. use mice. Um, or, yeah, if you wanted to like look at something like echolocation, 
you just use bats. Yeah. It's cool. Which are pretty much just mice, you know? They're like flying mice with echolocation. Yeah. Batman. You know how they say like we only understand like we only understand like a really small percentage of how our brain works? And also we only use a small percentage of our brain. Yeah. Can you give us some more clarity on that? Yeah. Okay, so it's not that you only use ten percent of your brain. It's not like there's there's like a little bulb of activity and ninety percent is just sitting there doing nothing. Um, we use our entire brain. Um, not every cell is active at the same time, though. Okay. You need to have patterns of activity to, to get any function. So if you looked at a thousand neurons in your brain during any activity you're doing, yeah, maybe only a hundred at a time will be active, but they're all playing some part in, uh, um, you know, in your experience. Yeah. You know, they, they do such things like uh, a neuron might not be actively firing, but it may be assisting another neuron in proper signaling. Right. Or the extra neuronal cells, the other cells in your brain, your glia cells. Um, we often hear of um, gliosis, you know, brain tumors are formed from these cells, from, from the glia, because they, they're naturally replicating our neurons in the brain. They don't replicate. So, but your glial cells are like the housekeepers of the brain. They, they'll, uh, you know, suck up some excess chemicals in, in the synapse or, or uh, create proteins that are necessary for proper mm. functioning. Um, and these are really understudied cells of, of their own. We know a lot more about how neurons work because they're the, you know, the data producing cells. Um, can you like, and I, maybe it's tough, but can you give like an overview of the structure of the brain, just like you were kind of, cause you were talking about two specific things, like a synapse and a neuron and then these other cells, like, and I know that I think most people are familiar. There's like different regions in the brain responsible for kind of different things, but you're talking about at a more cellular level, what actually happens in each region or I don't know if yeah, you can do that. I, I apologize. I, I sometimes uh, get too caught up in my own mind. I, I forget that. How dumb everybody is. My perspective. Um, so let's start zoomed out the most looking yeah, yeah. at the brain uh, I, I, I don't have a model here, but um, I'll pretend. Yeah, see the brain from, you know, from the big picture. In the back, you have that little bulb that's known as the cerebellum, and then you have your big, the big domes in the front. That's your cerebrum. Uh, within each of those, as well as in your brain stem, there's other individual nuclei. We call them brain regions that have different functions and each of those brain regions is made up of millions of neurons these are uh these are the brain cells what's a neuron yeah a brain cell okay what is, do we know what it looks like physically um they have all sorts of different shapes um let's see if i can get a nice a quick little drawing out here we're going live with the, hey, did you guys know we were live on, not live, but we are on YouTube. 
And if you want to see this beautiful drawing, stop the podcast, go straight to YouTube, Pavelcast. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So we have our cell body. Just. Uh-huh. Looks like a kind of semicircle. Kind of like a circle. And well, then you have. Kind of like a boob a little bit, but it's cool. And then you have your axon here, which is just a little process that comes off of that and ends in this terminus here. Okay. okay. And in this terminus, this will hit an, another cell. Uh-huh. So this space between the cells, this is called the synapse. This is uh -huh. the way that cell one here can talk to cell two. So how does a cell talk to another cell? Um, the way this works is at that synapse, cell one, the presynaptic cell, will release chemicals into the synapse. These are things like dopamine, which we, uh, we've heard. Love dopamine. Things like you know, drug abuse and depression. Uh, things like the main excitatory neurotransmitter uh, is glutamate. Uh, there are inhibitory neurotransmitters, GABA. Other, other neurotransmitters like serotonin, uh, norepinephrine. So a neurotransmitter is literally like uh, whatever a neuron, a chemical a neuron releases? Yes. It's just spit out into that synapse. Mm. And then the, the cell two, the postsynaptic cell, has a bunch of receptors that can recognize these neurotransmitters. And when a certain neurotransmitter binds to a certain receptor, it will induce a response. Now for the excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate, you'll get an excitation of the cell. So um, to not get too deep into the, the physics of, uh, of the of the brain but the, there's a a membrane potential between the intracellular and the extracellular environment that causes a uh, an electrical potential between those two okay a cell usually sits at about negative 70 millivolts mm -hmm. so when a cell is excited ion channels in the uh in the cell membrane will open up allowing uh, positively and negatively charged ions to uh, go by diffusion across the membrane to get that, uh, to depolarize the cell, get that membrane potential closer to zero. At some point, uh, this is called the action potential threshold. Mm -hmm. When the cell gets depolarized to a certain degree, you get this big reaction in the cell where you have all these pumps start going, causing the cell to uh, get this enormous electrical spike, enabling that cell to release its own neurotransmitters. I see. So you get this kind of step-by-step -step connection between cells. And yet it's not just a one, it's not like cell one, turns on cell two, which turns on cell three, each cell has many different inputs. And so they have the, a, a tuning mechanism to 
filter these individual uh, uh, impulses to a more complex signal. Fascinating. And this is something I'm sure we learned not that long ago. Like we're, we're just discovering this stuff. 50 we're years? More about this every day. Is it, do you feel like it's the last frontier? Like really understanding how the brain works? I mean, how much do you think we understand today if you had to put a number on it percentage-wise? Oh, I'd say we know. I, it's tough to say, like, how do you quantify? Super hard, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we may know that a certain molecule in, causes a certain effect. But that's but it. we don't know, you know, what structural point in that molecule, how that interacts with a, another functional point in another molecule and how that chemical or, you know, physical chemical effect is uh, causing something else to happen. We're never going to run out of things to study in the brain. Hmm. So when did you first become fascinated with the brain? By the way, that discussion I thought was very interesting. We'll come back to some more brain questions, but I want to sprinkle in maybe a little, little characters character development as well <laughs> sure sure um you know i think i first got interested in the brain was my senior year of high school we dissected a sheep brain in the lab oh wow and uh i just thought it was super cool um how these different parts of the brain can do different things to make us who we are yeah it's interesting are you more like a lab guy or are you more a computer guy? I am a lab guy. So you run the, you do some data analysis, but not really? Uh, the, the, the type of analysis I do is not super complicated. Yeah. We'll have a single readout uh, for a single uh, experimental specimen, and you're just comparing two numbers, you know? Yeah, gotcha. Interesting. And then um, when you were – in grad school at Albert Einstein, uh, Yeshiva University at the time, did you have the chance to kind of taste different specialties of neuroscience? So we, we were given the chance to do um, uh, three rotations in, in different labs. Um, I <clears throat> came into grad school uh, wanting to study addiction. Um, as I had seen a lot in my undergrad years of people going down one of two different paths. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you know, the totally fine can drink all they want, smoke all the weed they want, and get through going to class and having social life just fine. And then you have your people who, who just fall apart. Um, they just... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, can't live a, a normal life due to those drugs. So I wondered what was, uh, you know, what was separating those, uh, you know, what caused some people to get addicted. But so, don't you think the other people, like the functional alcoholics and stoners are still addicted? Or no? Uh, yes. I mean, the addiction itself is a very complicated disease. You have physical, uh, physical dependence. Right. where you might get withdrawal from uh, stopping taking a drug or just tolerance to the drug. You have to take a lot more to get the same effect. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, 
you know, you you can deal with those uh, with with those uh, withdrawal symptoms if you had to, and and then you have other people who uh, show none of those effects yet will show incredible psychological dependence, even though the they've suffered so many uh, economic, legal, social consequences, uh, they won't be able to stop uh, doing that, doing those drugs. And so I guess that would be what you'd call a non-functional uh, um, addict, while somebody who may have to take care of those physical uh, dependencies yet can still function in society you might you might call that a functional a functional dependent person um i'm not here to cast moral judgment on of course not but like so it's still i mean yeah so did you ever do any of this like research into addiction why do some people have a hard time functioning with an addiction while others have a better time doing it some people get less addicted too. Like I've also, I've I like drinking, I smoke, I smoke some pot. I really haven't, don't want to try any other drugs because I am afraid that I'm a, you know, I don't know if it's true, but I'm like a person that would get addicted to it. So I'm like, I don't want to deal with any of that. I'm happy with what I have. The propensity to develop addiction. It's believed that um, all addictive substances work on the same pathway in the brain. Um, and in different ways, cause the same types of uh, neuroplasticity in the brain where the strength of uh, certain connections is altered. Um, what I studied as a graduate student was Q reactivity. Mm. So somebody may be, uh, may go through rehab, may feel great, may not want to do drugs again, then they get home and they hang out with their drug friends and they relapse. And it's because they're exposed to all the cues that, that they associate with, with that drug use. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the mere presentation of these cues is enough in many cases to induce uh, some of the effects that you get from the drug itself. Uh, you look at something like the way people stop smoking. We know that nicotine is addictive, yet people have a really tough time with the nicotine patch or nicotine gum because they lose the, the cue that they have right. the, uh, of the physical act of smoking, of the taking oh, the and, and, pack, and tamping it down, you know, lighting, lighting up, seeing that smoke, which is why the e-cigarette when it was first developed as a smoking cessation therapy was so effective. People could maintain a lot of what they had with smoking in a, in a way where you're able to more carefully titrate your nicotine dose down to a level where you're no longer a, a dependent on it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Now people are just puffing and huffing and they're yeah, just now as addictive. People are using those e-cigarettes to start getting addicted, which is, <laughs> which is really not what they're supposed to be used for. It's like funny you said that. People bought nicotine patches just to put them on, you know? People did not do that. Though. I think some people did get into the gum. So I used to smoke cigarettes for a while, and, I, and I've and i quit a couple of times. I've quit for a while now, and 
have no plans of ever smoking again. But one thing that for sure helped me is one of the exercises when I was quitting in my app was like, just like, you can pretend. So like take a pretend cigarette and do it. And like that, when you like, you want to smoke instead of smoking, just do that. And that actually caused an immense amount of relief to the, to like, to the, uh, to the desire to smoke versus like even the actual nicotine. So that's interesting. Um, that actually helped me quit a lot. Yeah. And, uh, if you're out there, stop puffing. Nicotine bad. Like, I just don't get it because nicotine doesn't even do anything for you. You just like you just get addicted, then you want it because you're addicted. It it in itself delivers no pleasure or high, as far as I can tell. A buzz of like thirty seconds, oh, stupid. Don't smoke. Um, yeah. All right. So curious, what I don't know, like how what do you think about AI? But I'm sure you probably heard this GPT three thing that was coming out, and it has like something like. Uh, over a hundred billion parameters, right? I don't know how familiar you are with machine learning, but you're probably familiar enough to know it kind of models how our brain works and the neuron kind of thing, right? So I'm curious if you can draw a parallel between GPT-3 and like its parameters, which I, as I understand it, I don't, I don't actually understand it, but I, you know, I'm assuming it's still kind of tree-based stuff, deep learning stuff. And like our brain, which is also kind of similarly with the neuron trees, how many parameters does our brain have compared to, or is that not a fair comparison? And if it's upside, yeah. I think uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult because the brain is really more of an analog device than a, than a computer. Um, you know, you, you can change one parameter uh, in so many different ways that it's, I don't think, is something that can really effectively be modeled using uh, uh, current technology. Yeah, I mean, not right now, but I could be wrong. You know, um, uh, I just don't think that um, we know enough about how the individual uh, components come together to form these greater ideas. Uh, these more philosophical concepts that we think of as, as human thought and human emotion. Uh, I'm not sure we know enough about that, that you can create that in a, in a uh, computer model, or even if, we'd, if we could, if we'd be able to detect it. You know, how would we know if, uh, how would you know, what, what's the goal of the uh, computer's consciousness, if, we're, if that's what we're creating? Um, I think, well, I want to be able to, I'm classic, like AGI, uh, Average General Intelligence. If you can create a computer that I can't tell, I can, I can do a job the way I do a job, the idea then is you can like super learn it to become really smarter than any human and then it'll solve all our problems. So. But first, let's get to somebody that's able to do my job well or any job well. Like, I can't tell that they're not human. Like, that's what I want. I want them to, like, do jobs I don't want to do and, like, then solve problems I can't solve. That's what I want. I don't want them to, like, skynet me to death, but that's what it takes. Right. I, I think that's kind of a, a simpler issue because your job it consists of any number of individual tasks. So you can maximize uh, 
the performance of those individual tasks, um, it would be a, a cumbersome process. Uh, it'd be more cumbersome than, than human intelligence. With human intelligence, you can throw uh, any schmo out into pretty much any job and they'll be able to, uh, if it can be done by a human, be able to acquire those necessary skills. Uh, while with a computer, since there's so many competing interests, uh, I think it's it's a much more difficult prospect. So we want to bet you bet it's not going to happen, like actual general AI, or not in our lifetime. Not in our lifetime. But not impossible. I mean, nothing is really impossible. Or I I think the type of AI that we imagine. Um, the futuristic, cool kind. Yeah, the kind where it could uh, it could provide human humans type interaction. I don't think that's happening. Um, I, the kind of AI that you know is a mechanical sponge that goes around your uh, surfaces and you know identifies stains and <laughs> sure. You know that could work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got I got states that need to be taken out. Paul's been busy. What I think they should do <laughs> is create like tiny microscopic uh, AI sponges in like a spray can, like the Ooh. scrubbing bubbles. You Ooh, know? that's so good. Yeah, except it's little robots, so that after you spray it, and they clean up the mess they move out and like bring them die somewhere so you don't have to wipe them up or anything oh i love that idea yeah what about like have you heard of Neuralink? sounds familiar you know musk is working on this thing to basically connect the brain to a computer somehow or basically his whole thing is like increase the bandwidth is that possible you think hmm I mean, you'd have to have output from your uh, from your brain to this external uh, system, which is performing calculations. I imagine something that can be done by a computer. But like, they do have, don't they have things where you can kind of control a mechanical hands with a brain implant? Sure. So how does that uh, work? So. Um, in our brain, we have a, the, our, motor, our motor cortex. Uh, this is uh, part of the brain which connects to the spinal cord, will uh, cause a uh, you know, uh, synaptic connection onto a uh, nerve cell in your spinal cord, which connects to uh, a muscle and will cause that muscle to contract. Yeah. So you can say if you see activity in a in a cell in your motor cortex, that is causing uh, muscle. You know this muscle over here in your leg to contract somewhat. So mm -hmm. if you're able to record from the the whole population of cells uh, in the part of the brain which represents the hand, mm -hmm. we've done a lot of research to see how the human body is mapped physically onto these parts of the brain. 
So you can see here's the where the hand muscles are. So when you uh, go to do the motion of closing a hand, um, that you know it's causing your hand to close. But imagine you didn't have a hand there. You could still try to do that motion with your brain. And if you have a computer that can sense that linked up to a fake hand that can read that. And sensing. so what exactly? So what is this sensing it's doing? What is this it's sensing? The electrical activity. Like EFP stuff. Okay. Between the membrane. So that can be measured uh, right. from outside the head. Got it. And is that a technology that could potentially just be able to decode thoughts and everything else or no? Probably not. If we understand well enough um, the specific thoughts that we have, um, so we, we, uh, you may have heard of some research lately where they were able to implant a memory in, a, in an animal. Um, I haven't heard of it. That's uh, interesting. So, yeah. Uh, so when a memory is formed, you get a certain population of cells will uh, act together. And that was called an engram. Uh, you had just the uh, the certain group of cells that's involved in this particular memory. And, so, and this is a memory that's short term, long term. Does it matter? It's initially made as a working memory that's okay. then converted to a short term memory, which is then exported to a, a long term memory. In either case, in any case, you're having the effects of this single engram projected throughout the brain. And these are made spontaneously with every memory. Um, so unless I knew the specific engrams of every memory I've had, right. every emotion that I experience, um, then uh, without that, a computer wouldn't be able to take any kind of, no matter how high resolution imaging you're taking of the brain, you won't be able to translate that into uh, into thoughts on a screen or you know thoughts or images on a screen. With something like an image, it's easier because uh, you know with with sensory input, the uh, the effects are much more defined in your brain. You look at a, a vertical line, you have certain cells which respond to changes in light, line orientation. You can kind of create that image uh, or detect that image in a brain. Uh, but the emotional significance of it, the memories associated with it, that all is well beyond the, uh, the, the tools that we have right now. And um, do you know if like every human beings, like whatever this pattern is, if I think of a birthday cake, just generally a birthday cake, boom, in my head, and you think about a birthday cake, that's going to be different. Whatever the readouts are, however they do it, that's not going to be the same, right? Right, right. And that's the challenge there, okay. Yeah, if we both were, you know, put on some goggles that excluded everything else and just showed us the same exact picture. Yeah. All we're seeing is the exact same thing. The location of the individual cells that are uh, that are getting those uh, that information is going to be different between us, but the general schematic 
that uh, the types of cells that are being activated, mm -hmm. the general area of those cells, that'll be pretty similar between us. Cool. And uh, something you mentioned I want to ask is like memory. So you, it was interesting you said you create a memory first in your working memory, then it goes to your short-term memory, then it gets exported into long-term memory. Like we understand that process pretty well today? Um, not very well. Uh, okay. We know that, um, you, 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 have you seen the movie Memento? Yeah. So you remember in that movie, the guy had damaged his hippocampus. Yeah. Unable, <clears throat> unable to form new memories. His working memory was still intact. He was able to remember, if you were talking to him, he could remember the conversation as long as he wasn't distracted. Right. His working memory is okay. Uh, but his short-term memory was completely shot. He couldn't, uh, you know, create, move those memories from the working memory into something that can be recalled later. Right. Yet long-term memory, the memories that were formed years and years ago, uh, those are still intact mm -hmm. because those are no longer in that area of the hippocampus that was destroyed. Those are generally, we think, uh, stored, I guess you could say, in the, in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. Mm -hmm. And how does it make it there? We don't know. We don't really know. There's a whole lot of research going on into that. Um, but right now, we got too many competing hypotheses to have any real good idea. Um, you know, Alzheimer's dementia, uh, that seems to affect short term, I, I don't know if it affects working memory or short term memory first, but definitely one of the two. And then, are you familiar with any, um, like, yeah, why is that? We don't really understand what's happening there. Yeah. Um, so, again, the hippocampus uh, is a structure involved in, uh, in short-term memory, especially. Uh, also, things like social memory. Uh, what's a social memory? You know, if you... I know that I've met you before right. uh, when I see you. Um, Interesting. Um, so... In, in Alzheimer's, uh, the hippocampus is one of the first regions to be damaged. So that's one of the... Uh, that's what we do know, huh? Yeah. So fucked up. Yeah, we, we're pretty good at knowing what happens if you damage part of the brain. Because that's like the best of our research because it's like the easiest thing we can study. Yep, and you can see it in people. You know, people have a stroke. Right. You get a big lesion in the brain and you see... Oh, you can't move the left side of your the left side of your face anymore. Yes, we know what that part of the brain does, you know. <laughs> and then sometimes you can kind of regrow it, right? I also don't understand like how much of the brain can really regenerate. I think you said we don't create new neurons or something like that. So no, all the neurons already is, exist. There is a little bit of a neurogenesis that happens throughout life. In a couple regions of the brain, you will get new neurons born. Um it's unclear how super important that is. That seems to have some, uh, some effect in things like depression. Um, people with low uh, levels of adult neurogenesis seem to show uh, depressive-like symptoms. But um, for the most part, brain cells are not 
being born throughout your life for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yet they will change their shape and their connections throughout life. Mm -hmm. So if you lose a lot of cells in one part of your brain, the surviving cells around that may invade that area, increase their connections in that, in that uh, space. So somebody who loses three fingers, all of a sudden they're uh, the part of the brain that's involved in moving those fingers. It's really not doing anything anymore. Those cells will wither away. And then the cells that are, that you, uh, that move your other two fingers may be, may improve their dexterity Interesting. because of that increased connection. That's why you see people who have no arms, they can write with their feet really well. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the same, uh, you know, some of the same principles are occurring there. How do you think about intelligence in the brain? Like, do you think intelligence is, you know, are there limits put on your ability to achieve a you know, high level of intelligence based on your biological, genetical, genetic, genetics kind of predisposition in the brain? Or is the brain not even important to intelligence? Well, that can, can really be a, make a lot of sense. How do you think about intelligence in general? I think intelligence is always a fascinating concept for me. Curious, like what, how do you approach it? Yeah, um, I think intelligence is it's more of a philosophical question. Uh, okay. How do you measure intelligence? Um, somebody can look at a, uh, a phone book and memorize all the names and numbers. Does that make them smart or does it just give them a photographic memory? The latter, um, I think. Yeah. But somebody with a photographic memory, you might say, is, is smart because of all the knowledge that they have. Mm -hmm. They're knowledgeable. Yet, some would, some would argue that it's just the ability to use that knowledge towards a practical end that makes someone intelligent. Yet, some would say that is what that end is and whether that, you know, uh, the, the general moral and ethical impl uh, implications of, uh, of the goals you're trying to achieve uh, mm -hmm. make, make one more intelligent. Um, I think all of these are, uh, ha can be influenced by uh, genetics, by environment, by uh, epigenetic factors, things that affect how your genes are expressed. Um, these could be influenced by things like your uh, butt guy or gut biome. Sorry. Butt biome. <laughs> But That's a I, new one, baby. Fecal <laughs> transplant. Fecal transplant. Go ahead. Uh, you know, if you were, if the stupidest person in the world got a fecal transplant from the smartest person in the world, <laughs> they would probably get smarter. I want to see that happen. Well, what about like measuring intellectual ability using like uh, an IQ test? I think all IQ tests are flawed. I. I really, I'm, I'm really hesitant to try to quantify intelligence. I mean, you, I'd say you can quantify. Uh, what about when you? Sorry, say again. Maybe, maybe a proxy for intelligence hmm. you could quantify, like uh, a visual puzzle. 
or right. a, uh, you know certain types of riddles. They can, you know, you can quantify your performance in that, but I'm still hesitant to to say that makes somebody inherently smarter than somebody else. Interesting. What about when you meet someone in person? Do you get a sense of their smart level just by talking and interacting with them? Um, I guess it depends what we're interacting about. Right. If you're just taking shots at the bar, it might be tough. I mean, you know, if they're, uh, if they're buying the, the, like the Coors Light, uh, (laughs) is probably a worse sign than if they go for the Lone Star. What about know? Miller High Life? I find that's, that could be interesting. Well, it's a champagne of beers. So, you know, uh, these, these guys yeah. know what they're talking about. Did you ever take like the SAT or something? I did take the SATs. What was your highest score? Um, I got a, so this was back when it was only two sections. So that was 1600. Got a 1510. Ooh, We're close, buddy. That. That's 1520. Oh, <laughs> oh <This> no. <laughs> but, but, but that was a combined score from two different tests. Okay. Where I like, what was my highest like one score test? Probably like 14 something. So what were, what were your two high numbers? 790 math, 730 verbal. I did 780 math, 730 verbal. Close. The math, I mean, you should have done better than the math. I should have yeah. gotten a perfect score as well. I got two wrong. I guess you got one. And yours, I mean, you're a little older, so that means your tests, I think they always say the older tests were harder. I don't know if that's true, but... Eh, look, look at us. Eh. So, no, yeah. I think the 1500 Club has, like, an intelligence thing. But I, I, maybe it's elitist. Maybe I shouldn't be thinking about it that way. Yeah, yeah um, I, I think, especially uh, right now, we need to realize that standardized tests are quite problematic. Um, I was reading a Reddit thread um, the other day. Mm-hmm. The gentleman was asking if he was an asshole for uh, he's a- Am I the asshole thread? Those are great. Yeah. So he's a tutor. Uh, and he was saying that he doesn't take anybody. He's a tutor for like AP physics or whatever. Uh, he doesn't take anybody who hasn't who hasn't gotten above a 700 on one of the uh, math SAT2s or like the physics SAT2 or something. Uh, and he was asking if he was an asshole for, for setting that threshold. And uh, the, the, uh, you know, the verdict was mixed. But I would say yes, because that is a problematic way to... Uh, I agree. Uh, the people who get 700s do that because they have the resources to get the test prep books, to go to the tutor sessions, to go to the prep courses. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I did it is I read the books in the library, but I was surra- I was steeped in like a very, you must do well on these tests, school culture, where even though I didn't have the resources or was willing to spend any money on it. Like I still understand, understood the importance of it. And I was still able to get access to resources, which I think yeah matters for sure. Those are the heydays, baby, taking those tests, getting those scores. No one gives a shit anymore. <laughs> I was I, always a great test taker. Me too. 
That's like one of my core skill sets. Get that. That's why I'm thinking maybe taking some more of these like certification exams in IT, just because I mean I know I can do it fairly easily with some prep, and then I'll be like certified up the ass. Yeah, you know. Good to get certifications. Um, all right. We are now. So you're you're in high school. You dissected a sheep brain. Did you go to private school or public school? Public school. What was the name? Shout out. H- Horace Greeley High School. Horace Greeley. Nice, dude. That sounds yep. dope. Were Former you religious at all when you were young? Huh? I, you... I was a class of 99, so I'm 38. Were you religious at all? You said you were... Oh, yeah. um, I mean, I I got a religious education. I... Uh, Not in this high school. You mean like as an additional bar yeah, mitzvah yeah. thing? Yeah, I, I went to Hebrew school, had a yeah. bar mitzvah. Continued going to Hebrew school for a couple of years, got confirmed, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> confirmed the Jew? But I've never been a religious person. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you think, you know, what, what do you think about God? That's probably a bad question to ask. What do yeah. you think about God? Um, I don't I'll edit it out, but just tell me. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see it happening. <laughs> um, what do you think about us? As a neuroscientist, what do you think about sleeping in a simulation? Do you think that's a plausible theory? Like, I don't know if you've ever done any meditation, mindfulness, um, or any, like, psychedelics where you're able to kind of experience consciousness in a very pure way, um, which makes me feel like, well, what is real sometimes? So what what concerns me, I've thought a lot about, uh, you know, they talk about uploading our minds into a computer sounds lovely Uh, yeah but will that bring with it our sense of self um or will it just be someone else with our memories will i be experiencing um any of this or would just would some computer program who knows my my mannerisms just exist in such a in right. in some online sim I mean that's the great question like what makes consciousness we don't truly know but what do you want you want to bring it over obviously I, if I could upload my consciousness to a computer or you know uh, an ageless robot like data you know <laughs> that in a second. How great would that be? That'd be. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think it's something that's possible towards the end of our lifetime if we're lucky. It's unlikely, but it's not impossible. How would you know if it worked? Like, that's the thing. You wouldn't. So the only thing is the idea that you have somehow captured the little guy inside your head and now he's inside another head. It's a flawed idea because... In my mind, there is no little guy. And so this little guy just gets created by the mechanics of consciousness and all your memories and everything else. And so if we are able to reproduce that feeling, that's it. That You have this, again, what I think is a fake feeling of a thing that exists, no matter how real it feels. So it's confusing to begin with. But if you can replicate that feeling in the computer brain, then uh, yeah, I mean, I think... 
what happened to the biological body, let's say that brain is dead, um, did it really transfer over? Since, it, since it's impossible for it to transfer over since it's not real, I would say yes, it's transferred over. Do you, do you get that? Do you get where I'm going at? Uh, what, um, there's some old uh, uh, paradox uh, about a ship. I forget what it was called. Uh, anyway, they're saying, imagine you have a ship and you take off a piece and replace it with a new, another piece and you do this to the whole ship. At what, at what point does it stop being the ship that it used to be and become a completely new ship? Like 51%. That's what so, California law says. So let's say we make cybernetic arms and legs. Yeah. Like so cut off my arms and legs, get these robot parts on still me just with fake arms and legs. No. Then they can replace my organs because those are getting old and failing with machine parts. So it's just my brain uh, in my head on this uh, robot chassis with these parts in it. Still going all right. Now my face starts to go. My eyesight goes. Replace my eyes. Replace my skull. Yeah. Just my brain in this robot body. Yeah. Am I still me or am I just a robot? You, you for sure. With a, now, inside a robot body. Because the brain thing is still the same now. Now imagine you take your memories yeah. uh, of, a, of a certain uh, year. Okay. My 2020 memories. And I put them on a USB that I could plug into me and remember everything from all my memories in 2020 and I take it out because 2020 sucks. Yeah. Um, am I still me? Um, mm. I'm now removing part of what is part of my experience. And there's more than just the things that happened uh, that I'm remembering that have affected me in, in, in 2020. Every, every, my whole life in this part has done things to alter my my being, my my personality, my experiential existence. Uh, how much of that is part of me uh, at, at its core, and how much of that is just stuff associated with me? At what point do you get down to just the seed of being able to say I, of just knowing that you are, you exist, you know, the, I think therefore I am seed. Yeah. I, have you ever done mindfulness or meditation? Like, nah, not really. Like, do you, can you understand when I say like, oh, you can reach a level of consciousness, like where you're just observing your attention, is just observing everything that's coming in. And like, you understand that there is no I, there's no self like ego death. Have you ever experienced ego death? Like, no, nothing like that. No. Um, I tend to, um, in a more of a psychedelic sense, tend to focus inward on the eye. And, mm. and you see it, you feel it. 
I, I have a, a sense of my, myself as a biological organism mm-hmm. with a perspective. Yeah. And I'm kind of hyper-focused on that perspective, looking mm-hmm. out rather than looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, looking out from the inside rather than... Uh, feeling that you're connected to a bigger thing. Of everything else. Right. Okay, that's interesting. But you didn't answer the question. Do you think it's possible we're living in a simulation? Um, I can't rule it out, but I'm going to say no. Well, fair enough. Um, you love like crazy rock. Do you like rock music or do you just like live music in general? Um, I'll go to all sorts of live music. Um, I guess you'd say my, uh, my general uh, genre of choice is more in the like punk, uh, punkish grunge style neo grunge neo have you always been into that um i really have gotten into more uh more expanded my uh my listening since i've been seeing live music more in past uh i guess about past two years so uh no it's been more of a recent development what do you like about seeing live shows? I love the the energy there, uh, uh, especially at small shows where you you really feel like you're part of something. You get to jump around and slam into people. Uh, it's just a good time, you know. So you, you do like the energy, the dancing, and the sh- jumping, and the interaction with human beings. Yeah, I do. And the music itself doesn't doesn't matter. Like, well, do you like techno? Matters a whole lot. Bad music, I'm not going to want to jump around to. You know, I went to a a, a hardcore punk show about. Uh, What's that like? Uh, it's intense. A whole lot of mohawks, a lot of spikes in their uh, jean jackets. No shit. Um, and the mosh pit is a whole lot more violent. Um, people more intentionally targeting each other. More trying to hurt each other, but if somebody goes down, they'll still help them up. But you're more, you're more, you know, moshing outwards. You're, you're trying to hit people. I prefer That's the weird. more moshing vertically, where you're just kind of expanding your personal space into other people's personal. Space. <laughs> you're really just dancing, you know. Interesting. Um, do you miss that during this pandemic? Oh, absolutely. I miss it. Miss it a ton. That's like the most thing. Yeah. When can that come back? That's the last thing that's going to come back. Uh, I I implore your listeners to check out the National Independent of our National uh, Independent Venues Association (NIVA). Uh, they are the only organization that works to maintain these venues, so that when this does end, we can have a live music scene again. Well. We always will. Just it sucks because these people are now out of work, out of money, and there's no way really to get that cash flow going at all. Yeah, yeah. But like they're saying, ninety percent of these venues are going to close without federal assistance. So if that happens, you know, all of a sudden, I used to be able to go out to you know, you know, a dozen clubs every night if I wanted, to, or any one of a dozen. Right. Uh, 
coming out of this, there might only be, you know, a few left. The the local bands that I like so much are, uh, you know, won't be able to see them as often. The touring bands are going to be tougher to get tickets to. Going to be. Uh, I mean, I think the reality though that it sucks, but it's a temporary thing. It's like when things open up, there's going to be pent up demand. People are going to want to go. So these venues will. It's not like these venues are all going to change and become Whole Foods. Like maybe one will, but like most will stay venues, and therefore they'll just have to be come back around, right? That's a good point. That's how I, I mean, it sucks in the moment though. And I think you're going to, you might lose a good club, which sucks because you're going to lose the ownership, the culture, like the fan base, maybe just even, even if it just stays there and someone new takes over and that sucks. I, I am, if, if federal relief is an option, I think we should give it to them. It's not even, I'm sure it's not even that much money compared to the federal relief like uh, BlackRock is getting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I read this article where they're like buying their own ETFs. I'm like, really? It's kind of ridiculous. They're printing money to them buy their own ETFs to like maintain the price. What the? WTF, mate. Um, but I'm, yeah, I love the government. People should register to vote. Are you registered to vote? I am registered to vote. Have you ever voted? Have you ever, oh, you voted before in an election? I, I, I vote in every election. Hmm. Why, why do you think you have the sense of duty to vote? Um, it's the only voice that I have, you know? I'm not, and it feels uh, like it's not even there. Yeah, but it, it counts. You know, I can get out there and go on a, a protest march, but I feel like, although visually stunning, <laughs> my presence there doesn't mean anything. You know? Your presence there would be visually stunning. <laughs> Um, let's see what we got. I was going to ask you, okay, so you've, you've had, uh, I just say this again, talk about it. You've had type two diabetes. Type one. Type one. Sorry. The one that comes like, uh, the one that's not like late onset, the one that's like early onset. Right. Juvenile diabetes. How old were you when you figured it out? I was six years old. No shit. Yeah. And then from then on, you've had to like wear, they had to put a pump in or just Constantly yeah, so, uh, I was diagnosed in, I guess it was 1988. Um, technology back then was such that uh, you'd have to use a combination of two different types of insulin derived from pigs. Mm. Um, one was a generally short acting insulin. Another one was a much longer lasting insulin. Um, both of them kind of had weird uh, pharmacokinetic profiles, um, which made scheduling of injections very important scheduling of meals time wow. snacks so for much of my childhood i would eat at very specific times of day specific amounts and even then uh, it was tough to control my blood sugar by the time i got to college i guess maybe my sophomore year of college the therapy had changed to uh, using human cDNA-derived insulin, okay. um, which, uh, again, I was using two different types. One was a very slow-acting one. You'd had to take a shot every 24 hours to just give a basal level uh, throughout the day. And then a very short-acting one, which you take right before you eat. 
So that gave me a whole lot more flexibility mm. in my lifestyle. I could eat when I, when I wanted. It was easier to adjust the amount I need to take to uh, based on what I've been eating. Mm-hmm. Then a few years later, the insulin pump came out. And this delivers that very short-acting one at a low, steady rate throughout the day. And you could program spikes in it. And so I've been wearing a pump ever since then. And that's, that was in uh, 2003. Which one? The, the pump. What's so, the name? Oh, uh, so the first pump I had was the... Um, what's the, well, you, so you've got them changed up. So what's your latest and greatest? The latest one is the... Is it Dexcom? Look here. Uh, it's the Minimed... Uh, it's the 670G. So this is a... <laughs> the is naming a, of these is always... This one is exciting. So it comes with a continuous glucose monitor. So, oh, okay. It's a, clo- it's a closed loop system? It's a closed loop system, yes. Wow. So this is just for the, for the, basal, uh, for the basal levels, the slow release throughout the day. It'll so hold on. People probably don't understand what we mean. So basically, diabetes you can't produce insulin. And so you need to like put insulin to your body to whenever you eat something with that needs insulin, like whatever sugar needs to clear right from the bloodstream basically. Right. And so you, you basically would have to like constantly check your blood sugar to say, okay, my blood sugar is high or whatever. Let me get some insulin or be almost ahead of that. Um, and then they come out with technology called CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, which basically we talked about on, the, on a previous show with this level startup. Put it in, and it's like it takes readings automatically every 15 minutes. That's different than the pump that where you still have to program, but it will pump insulin in. And a closed loop system is when they can interact with each other, where it can read what the blood sugar is, and it can actually deploy the insulin without you doing anything. Kind of, right? Right. So that that only works with the kind of the background level of insulin. You always need to have a a low level of functional insulin in your body at all times mm-hmm. to get the sugar from your blood into your cells for your cells to function. Um, you will always, uh, without insulin, your blood sugar will always increase as just uh, you know your enzymes in your body will break down right. any, anything into sugar. So you always need a, a basal level of, uh, of insulin. And so the closed loop system uh, affects that specifically, uh, only affects that, that background level to maintain a steady level of blood sugar throughout the day. If you eat something, you have to then calculate how much to take to, uh, uh, to compensate for that. You're the closed loop system is not uh, suitable to take care of that at the moment. Just the timing doesn't work out because um, from the time of infusion till the circulation throughout the body where the insulin is actually having an effect uh, isn't fast enough uh, to effectively bring down your your blood sugar from eating something. So you... Before you eat a meal, you, you basically have to think about what you're eating and give yourself a boost. Right. Yeah. I need to have an idea of the amount of carbs in every meal. 
and then just divide that by the ratio of uh, amount of insulin to carbs that uh, you need. that I know that I've worked out with my doctor right. and uh, give myself that amount of insulin, you know, about half an hour, 45 minutes before I eat. And what happens if you don't? Uh, then my blood sugar will go up a lot. It's yeah. a very uncomfortable feeling. Um, if it gets really, really high, it will kill me. But I haven't been close to that. So like, we'll have, like basically, sometimes you go in and like, okay, I'm about to eat. And I didn't put my insulin in, so I'll, I'll, I'll put my insulin in right now. Yeah, and that's happened. Where and then, like more or less, that's fine. Like yeah, you get, you get through it. Yeah, it'll spike up and then come back down pretty quick. It will, it'll never get too high. But um, what's too high? What's the number for too high? If it's above, I'd say dangerously high. Is I'd say above four hundred. Nah, huh. I think that's nanograms per deciliter. Or yep. for deciliter of blood. I don't know. Some, uh, some. Yes, that's fine. Yeah, usually a non-diabetic is a, is around eighty or so. So if it's five times higher than that, you're in. Do you think like uh, measuring insulin is a good like for people that are not diabetic? Do you think it's a good metric for health, metabolic health? Measuring like the, insulin? Yeah. So that's the, what the startup is doing. They're basically, they have a CGM that's popping out data. Whenever you know, they make you log food or whatever, and they kind of try to say, like, basically, I think that what Casey, Dr. Casey was saying is that um, the best metabolic health is when your blood sugar does not spike. Well, they're actually me they're measuring blood sugar, sorry, not insulin, of course, continuous yeah, so they're, glucose they're monitoring. At, um, yeah, you're, I guess you're, yeah. Just glucose. They're looking at glucose, right? So they're just looking at blood sugar levels. And they want that to be consistent. Like, is it, do you think it's best for human health to have no spikes in the blood sugar? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. No matter. And so like having that be a target of your diet and exercise, is that a, do you think that's a good metric for health? Maybe not. Um, no. Um, okay. But I, good for metabolic health. Maybe like, I, 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 blood sugar can be affected by a number of other things as well. Things like right, exercise, stress, right? All those yeah. things. Um, the, you know, the, the, your cellular needs at the time, you know, um, what, you, you know, the, what, what you've eaten, your uh, hormonal response to high and low blood sugars, they can all have different... It's a lot of complexity, huh? Metabolic health, I would say the best um, metric to use... Hmm. I... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, whatever. You, what, what were you thinking of the topic? What are some possibilities? Uh, one thing you could look. Uh, one thing I'd be interested in is the makeup of your uh, gut biome. Yeah. Um, but we don't even know what that means, though, right? Like we don't. We don't. We don't. If if we knew more about the, 
you know, what proportions of which uh, bacteria are... I'm just trying to eat more kimchi, more yogurt, more kefir. Like, I feel like that's the best I can do. And it's really the best you can do, but who knows if it's working. Somewhere out there, there's the ideal poop. And we should all... <laughs> that... Can you give me a would you rather? All right. Um, hmm. Uh, would would you rather uh, before you take every poop, you have to get a fecal transplant? Okay. Or once a month you pass a kidney stone. Oh my god. But um, what's a fecal perfect. like? What's the fecal transplant? Uh, you know, in, in not too graphic detail. What does that entail? So they're taking somebody else's poop. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna do that myself. So like, before I go poop myself, I'm gonna have to like take I take a box out of someone else's poop. I put something in it. Well, so you're gonna have a doctor doing this. Oh, doctor's gonna show up every time I need to. Uh, yeah. So if you have to poop, you gotta text the doctor. <laughs> but dude, I like pooping like sometimes multiple times a day. Yeah, so I doctor doctor doesn't mind. You know, he's happy to do this. He's in on this whole hypothetical. But it costs money or I have a subscription plan. Unlimited. Yeah, yeah, it's it's free. It's covered by your insurance. <laughs> okay. So so he's gonna come by, um and he's a pretty big guy too, nice nice and hairy fellow. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's relevant. A fairly big Albanian uh, doctor, maybe an Albanian doctor. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And he's gonna say some anti-Semitic things while he's doing it. Mm, that's good. You know, he's still got a gentle hand. Oh, that's, that's nice. Um, so he sticks this thing, which is about um, about as thick as two thumbs, um, up your butt. Squeezes in somebody else's poop, mm-hmm. and then you could just poop normally. Or and what if I need to poop like immediately after I wipe? I need to go again. That's another injection, or can I? Do I have like a grace period of like a fifteen minutes, half hour? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a half hour grace period. Thank God. <laughs> All right, that that's workable, I think. Um, versus passing a kidney stone, and that's like when you pee it out, or it just yeah, hurts inside. You pee it out. Um, Is it, it painful? Yeah. Oh my god! It's. The, um, I passed one a few years ago. Oh my god! So it was slow coming out. So for like two weeks, it would hurt when I peed. Um, I just thought I had like a urinary tract infection. Um, I was eating a lot of beets at the time, so I'd pee. It would hurt a lot, and it would come out red. Yeah. So I started to panic. So I called the urologist and I set up an appointment. And uh, before the appointment happened, I passed it, which was pretty brutal. I had to sit down on the toilet, kind of <sighs> brace myself against the wall. Um, and you knew, it was, you knew it was happening? No, I just thought it was hurting a whole lot more than usual. Yeah, you just tried to pee. And then the next piss was okay. Wow. And that was the best piss of my life. So for, this, for the purpose of this hypothetical, 
you're not going to have to deal with the painful peas for more than 12 hours. There's one day of the month within 12 hours. Uh, you go through this. Oh my God. These are both so not pleasant. Um, (laughs) uh, I guess. I guess I got to go with the P. It's just, it's just more, it's just more convenient instead of having a doctor in here every time, every day. And like also doing the insertion piece every day. Every day. What kind of champ are you, huh? <laughs> you don't poop every day? And I had a streak last week where it was like three days in a row. That was pretty exciting. I have but, a, okay, it's all about chia seeds. I'm a, I just eat my chia seeds every day and I'm good to go. And last week for me it was uh, beans and cabbage. And that, that really got, the, got everything moving. Are you vegetarian? No, but I don't eat a lot of meat. Do you make your own food? Yep. So what kind of beans and cabbage did you make? Um, so this was actually two different meals. Um, <laughs> the beans, I made some black bean burgers. Really good. Super mm. easy. Mm. Um, the cabbage was part of a, uh, a taco dish that I made with chicken. Mm. Wrote up some chicken shredded the cabbage, made it into a coleslaw, mm-hmm. and just ate the chicken and the coleslaw on a tortilla. It's not really a taco. As it's much it, as, uh, it's got taco flavors. Taco construction with <laughs> picnic flavors, I guess. Roasted chicken? How'd you roast it? I just, you know, chicken breasts. I just put, threw some spices on it and stuck it in the oven, you know? Ooh, sounds, this is, like, sounds kind of healthy, I guess. Were you going for healthy? We're going for easy and cheap. Yeah, I like. Have you been trying to like save money on food? I I try to spend as little as possible on food. Not as little as possible, but I, I don't I don't like to splurge anymore. Are you trying to like? What's your investment philosophy? Are you trying to save money and invest? No, I'm just. Uh, trying to right size my spending so that uh you know i what do you think is the right size like how much should you be spending of your monthly cash that you get so, percentage wise so you don't have to give us numbers yeah like 50 percent should be saving 50 percent should be saving 10 percent five percent um saving i would say um, 10 to 20%. 10 to 20? I think that's a good, uh, it's pretty solid savings, right? Especially if you hit the 20. Yeah, you know, I'm not really keeping track, though. I'm just trying to... Uh, you don't have a retirement plan in your head? I have, a, I have a Roth IRA, which I contribute to every month. Okay, that's your retirement plan? Do you max it out? I don't, I don't make enough to max it out. You guys, you scientists don't get paid enough. We do I mean, not get- especially if you're working academic research, but you have, but when you work academic research, you have like a lot of freedom. So that's nice. We do, but you still are uh, entirely reliant on, uh, on grant funding. And when that runs out, you're out of a job. 
Would you ever do like uh, work for a corporation? Absolutely. I think corporations would love to have you. <laughs> you know, any corporations are looking to hire a uh, a motivated, hardworking, super compelling person. You know, uh, just contact the Pavelcast and. Uh, oh, absolutely! I mean, like, so what? Do you, what can you do for people? Uh, what do you need done? You know, I could do all sorts of stuff. My expertise is in uh, behavioral neuroscience, but. Um, you know, I, I try to abide by the scientific method and scientific rigor in all my, uh, activities. Yes. So if you think that this perspective is good for your corporation, you know, I, I could, uh, <laughs> you could talk to them. No, I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. But I wonder if you're like, if you use a certain technology in the lab, like, like let's say genetic sequencing, that you could go work for people that do that same stuff, or if you do like mouse research, you could become like the mouse research guy at Pfizer, or some oh, other I biotech. I could certainly be a mouse research guy at Pfizer. Um, I've been contracted by, or subcontracted, I guess, by these companies, uh, mm -hmm. some pharmaceutical companies, to investigate some uh, preclinical drugs. But it's challenging for uh, psychiatric research because we know so little about the mechanisms of, uh, of these diseases that there's just isn't much of a profit motive for the companies to, to go to all the work right. to develop something that they really have no idea if it's going to work in humans. So you should go work for Neuralink. You're a Musk startup because you know neuroscience. I mean, you have a PhD in neuroscience, so you can basically do all sorts of neurosciences cool things right oh, well, yep, yeah yeah fuck it. that'll be sweet you get rich too um this show has two recurring segments segment number one is called hot tips it's time for hot tips it's time for hot tips do 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 hot tips um and which is a hot tips is basically where you can give any tip you want to the audience it can be it can be a meal, it can be a book, it can be a song, it can be a movie, it can be a travel tip, it can be a clothing tip, it can be do interior design tip, I mean, coffee. It can be real, anything, something that, you know, you think could add to people's lives. It's a hot tip. All right. Um, well, as we mentioned earlier, I, uh, I go, I like to see a lot of live music. Yeah. I've gotten to see some excellent uh bands who aren't huge yet but are really really worth uh looking out for so i encourage all of your listeners to check out broken baby broken uh, baby yes they're a, a super fun band um live shows are incredible as well as uh summer cannibals another Sorry. great band uh who i've been Digging just just a, a ton these days. That's awesome. What uh, what kind of music are they? So Summer Cannibals, I'd say, is more of a uh, uh, kind of in the punk grunge uh, kind of vein. While Broken Baby is a little harder to define, maybe more of a, I I I wouldn't even begin to know uh, how to describe them. Um, you know, you think they are not 
something until they are, you know? Um, cool. Yeah, they're definitely worth checking out. And uh, seriously. Nice. Uh, Broken Baby and Summer Cannibals. Heard it here fo- first, folks. I'm sure they're on Spotify and Apple Music and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you give me one more Would You Rather? All right, let's do one that's more uh, two like, positives, huh? Yeah, come on. Fuck. Those, that's, uh, I can still feel the gallbladder stone, the kidney stone, rather. Um, would you rather be able to look at a menu and know exactly what you would enjoy the most mm. or be able to cook food in the palm of your hand. How does that mean in the palm of my hand? Just you put like raw beef in the palm of your hand and, and then you cook sizzles. it. <laughs> and I can like control like how it cooks. I can get it like, it's like a hot surface, magical yeah. hot surface. Yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's like a hot plate. Okay, so I can't like, I guess I could, would I be able to braise it up in my hand? I mean, if you have a pot, um, you yeah. could put the pot on it, put some, <laughs> uh, put some liquid in there and braise it in that. Yeah, sure. I would just be, okay. I mean, certainly very convenient versus, versus knowing what, oh man, you know, I, I don't go camping that often, but I like, I really enjoy choosing the right thing at the restaurant. And the right thing at the restaurant is a completely subjective choice, not only for you, but also I think in the moment in time. And what I think you're proposing with this first one is I'd be able to tell in the moment in time, in that, you know, what would I enjoy the most for lunch right now? Exactly. You could go to the same restaurant twice and you might get a different option both times. You know. And I could rank them and like, it would be all just like give me like magical scores, I guess, somehow. I'll take yeah, that one. That one's good. You just, you just look at the menu and you know. You just know. Yeah, it's just like, oh, that's, that's the thing I'm getting this time. And you, and you know it's going to be, you know, you would not enjoy anything more. <laughs> and when you eat it, like it, uh, it, you can do a test. You can order everything on the menu. <clears throat> and see that your superpower is indeed correct. Um, that's the one, man. That's the ticket. I love that. I hate when I get the wrong thing on the menu. I'm like, oh, and someone else gets something better. And like, fuck. I'm like, damn. Yeah. Um, How about you? I'm, I'm going to cook food in my hand, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think that would be especially useful if you have like a cup of coffee that's cooling down. You know, you just kind of yeah. set it on your palm and all of a sudden it's hot again. That'd be nice. Um, yeah, you know, maybe maybe you were cooking up some chicken and you undercooked it. And instead of throwing it back <laughs> in the pan, you just kind of cook it up real quick. Um, you have a, a cheese sandwich. All of a sudden, it's a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, know? that's a great point. That's a good point. Like, you could toast sandwiches so easily. Yeah. Oh, you want one more? All right. Would you rather... Every time you have sex, it's recorded, streamed live. People are all over the world are watching and commenting, including, you know, your personal and professional contacts. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the show or, is so good, they can't look away. Or you, uh, for 
six months out of the year, you have to live in that retirement community of Florida where all the old people are, you know, where they're all swingers and you have to uh, make, you know, video recordings of all the old people having sex. Do I not participate? You cannot participate. Even if they ask you, which they will. <laughs> Interesting. You just have to, you know, get the get the good shots, and they and they want some like gross shots too. So this is like sixteen hours a day, six days a week for six months out of the year. Hmm. I, I mean, do I assume in the first one that my personal life and professional life gets affected by this negatively or not necessarily? I mean, they might be proud of you. They might be cheering you on. You got to read the comments, you know? <laughs> oh, I, I, is, is it like people get to tip too? Like, could I make this a living? Um, you don't get paid for it, but you can, like, they'll give you like, you know, the Reddit awards. You'll get those. <laughs> For six months out of my life, I'm going to Florida, and like I just have a life in Florida where my job consists of 12 hours a day of filming old senior citizen yeah, retirement old. community swinger sex. Yeah. But, but not much of I mean, they're not even going for 12 hours a day. Come on. Or maybe they I mean, are. I'm, I'm sure some wake up early, some wake up late, you know? And there's like, you know, there's like hundreds of them. They're all just participating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah, but you're you're paid well during that time, so you don't have to work the other six months out of the year. Oh, that's I, I see. And I can do whatever I want on my free time. When I have sex, it does not get broadcast on the internet. It will not get broadcast. <laughs> In but the first I, scenario, you'll be thinking about it a lot. You know, it's hard to get that those you know visuals out of your mind. I choose the first one <laughs> because I um, there's a little bit of a where you were in me anyway, so that sounds like it could be an interesting proposition. You so say you're you're broadcasting yourself. I'm broadcasting. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I think I have I have little enough sex that it's not really gonna affect me one way or the other. So uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't uh, you say that now. Well, you never know. Of course, the day the day I make that choice, uh, you know, it's just like boom. <laughs> the other segment we have on the show is called uh, "It's sponsored by Elon Musk," and I get to use this teleportation transformation device. That's like right here. This uh, it looks like a coffee thing, but it's actually a super special device. Um, and using the device, we're able to teleport somewhere momentarily. And to kind of like enjoy this place and take it in for a moment. Um, so yeah, if you can maybe let's choose a place where you want to go, and I'll program it in, and we'll go there for a few moments, so we can talk about it. Oh, what's a what's a lovely place? Um, You know, um, a place that I love is uh, Chance Creek in uh, near Oberlin, Ohio. Right, let me program that in. Boom. 
wow, look at this. Gorgeous here. And it really is beautiful, isn't it? Um, let's, let's, let's get in the water, you know? It's, the thing is, don't get naked uh, before you jump in the, in the water. They, uh, the neighbors on the other side will call the police. <laughs> well, um, is the water, I'm afraid, is it cold? It's cold, but uh, I mean, it's, it's shallow and it's fresh. Oh, I love fresh water swimming. Like how cold? Um, well, we're in northern Ohio, in uh, in the middle of the woods. It is August, so um, it, I mean, it's it's refreshing. Um, you know, you'll you'll get a chill, but you'll be happy you went in. You won't even need a towel when you get out. Just kind of lie on the on the bank mm. in, in the sun. What's a creek? A creek is like a tiny river. So it has water flowing through it consistently. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like a brook. A bubbling brook. Or a creek. You know, you don't have creeks out there. We don't have water over here, but we have creeks in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, what's the surrounding look like? Is it tall trees? Is it green? Yeah, so we're, uh, so this creek uh, looks like it was, you know, carved out of the ground, you know, where, uh... What's it called? Chance Creek. Cool. Yep. Um, yeah, we used to go out there with, uh, with our classmates and just kind of, uh, chill out by the water. There was a nice ice cream place not too far there uh, from there called Miller's Ice Cream. It's no longer open, but they would have this delicious uh, fresh strawberry sundae. It was mm, some, uh, fresh strawberries. Yes, uh, shortbread cake, fresh vanilla ice cream, and fresh strawberries. Uh, just you know, fantastic clean ice cream. None of the chunks in there. <laughs> no, uh, no candy. Just cake and uh, ice cream and strawberries. Healthy. Cake. <laughs> you what know, kind of cake? Oh, pound cake, vanilla pound cake. That sounds delicious. It really was. Like, how do you work with sugar? Because you're like a type one diabetic. Like, do you eat as much sugar as you want? I I have to take more insulin to eat sugar. Um, is that bad? I generally avoid it. Like I'll buy diet sodas, you know. That doesn't bump your blood sugar the same way that real sugar does. A diet soda has no effect on my blood sugar. Really? I can drink as much of it as I want. What about like beer and wine? The uh, alcohol is an interesting effect. So, like <laughs> you know, with beer and wine, those also have a lot of sugar in them as well. Um, a lot of carbs. Mm-hmm. So it'll cause a uh, acute increase in blood sugar, but then the alcohol will cause a decrease uh, mm. several hours later. So it's happened where I've drank way too much at night and then had a terrible reaction to that, uh, you know, overnight, early the next morning, wake up with very low blood sugar mm. uh, in a state of confusion or whatever. That's scary. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a good place to be. So uh, you got to be careful when you drink. 
but I've also made a number of poor choices in my life. So uh, <laughs> you're still here. That's yeah. the important part. What, what happens with like whiskey or any kind of high, you know, just a yeah that uh, has less here. of an effect. And actually, I find whiskey seems to have very good effect on my blood sugar. Uh, it has kind of a stabilizing effect. That's um, interesting. Which is. I, that's just personal. I don't think any doctor would agree with me <laughs> do this. But I find whiskey, especially Canadian whiskey, like Canadian Club or Rich and Rare, uh, those are just fantastic for uh, your type 1 diabetics out there. <laughs> you can just drink a lot of it and like it doesn't really give you that big bounce back and forth? Yeah, yeah. It, it keeps it pretty stable. What, what's your way to drink whiskey? And it's really delicious. I, I really like Canadian Club, and uh, Rich and Rare is a good second option. What's like the top, top, top end Canadian whiskey that I should try? I don't think there is a top end. Um, <laughs> There's gotta be. There's always top end. Yeah, it's all pretty cheap. Um, like if you like real smoky, oak hinted, um, you know, barrel aged whiskeys you're not going to love Canadian whiskey. It's just, it's more smooth. Hmm. It has a flavor of whiskey, but just goes down fast. We're back in uh, our respective places now. Um, that's interesting. The vodka, same thing, all these spirits, yeah, blood sugar. We're such complex organisms. Yeah. I imagine rum is slightly different because it's made from sugar. Right. Or cachaca. That's also kind of like a, do you, yeah. Do you know why it happens? Like what happened that you actually, you're not able to produce insulin? Um, so my dad did a, uh, I went on ancestry.com recently to look at his family tree. Yeah. His mother had several siblings who died young in the, early part of the 20th century. Um, so we imagine that they all had type one diabetes and um, I lucked out on getting those combinations of genes that made it express. Is it prevalent in like the uh, Ashkenazi Jewish population specifically? I don't think it's any more prevalent in that population than anyone else. Okay, that's good. I see. So basically it's genetics and somehow the genetics ma managed to survive all this time. Yeah. Some, probably some combination of many genes and environmental effects, but certainly my genetics put me at a very, very high risk state. And, gotcha. you know, right prior to when I was uh, diagnosed actually, so my mom was active in the local Jewish community, helping uh, immigrants from the Soviet Union settle in. Uh, um, this guy, she's yeah. part of the Hebrew Aid Immigration Society or whatever Hebrew Immigration Society. Yeah, yeah, Society. yeah. So we were we were helping this one Russian family move in. Nice. And they just kept feeding me like cake and candy. Oh, they fucked you. Asked for a glass of water, and they gave me some Seven Up. <laughs> it was just more sugar than I'd ever really been used to, and I got diagnosed shortly thereafter. So I blame them. Yeah, you got this, they gave you the big spike to push you over the edge there, huh? Yeah. And basically, on the molecular level, it just shuts down, huh? Okay, one, let's do 
Let's do one more. Would you rather? Or what's the okay? Name? Would you rather have a magical sweeper that just like a little sweeper that always sweeps and always keeps your house like tidy from sweeping? Like so, you can't wash the floors, you can't vacuum. All it can do is sweep. It's like a magical broom from Harry Potter, but it's always sweeping and keeping things tidy for you. You you know you drop something. You know, for a wet spill, it kind of like approaches it as it doesn't really know what to do. It needs your help. <laughs> but for any dry spilling, it's good to go. Um, or you snap your fingers whenever you want and you have a perfectly groomed body in terms of hair, whatever it is that you want. So if you want your, you know, some people like their back shaved or their front shaved or, you know, whatever. Like, you don't have to worry about it. Snap. Perfectly groomed. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm definitely going with that snap. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta run the razor. You know, the buzzer yeah. over my head every day. Yeah. You know, a couple minutes. Got to shave. Yeah. Um, and shave my back too. I got one of those long back shaving things. You ever seen those? No, that sounds interesting. Like, is it like yeah. a trimmer or? No, so it's like a, a razor. Wow. With like a super long hand to <laughs> back with. Um, I, do, I have to do that every, you know, I should do it like every other week. Why? Why don't you just get hairy? Um, it's just, it's too hairy. You don't like it? Yeah, I don't like the back hair. It makes you, like, I've never shaved my back because it's always been hairy. I'm just used to it. You're not used to it? I am used to it, but I think it looks better without it. It's not necessarily better. Just like you like it, you like it. Yeah. You like the feeling. I mean, I also like a beard. You don't like a beard, right? Yeah. I Can you grow a big like beard, like a yeshiva beard? You know, the longest beard I ever had earlier <laughs> this year, actually, it was uh, it was pretty long, but I hated it. Mm. Just kept getting food in it, and uh, I always felt like my face was wet. Like it's tough to to dry your face with a beard, you know. Mm. You really gotta. You can't just throw the towel at it. You have to kind of rub it down, you know. What's your would you rather to me? All right. Um, oh, which one would I do? Um, oh, you know, I don't need to sweep that much, and I, I would rather take the perfect groom, like just because some areas, like I just don't, don't. It's you know, boop. Eh, so much fun. Boop. <laughs> What's your would you rather for me? Uh, would you rather um, oh, yes. miss every light, every traffic light that you encounter? Miss meaning like it turns red as you approach it? It, it, it turns red or is red. Yeah. Um, or every person that you um are in a, a line with or you know close contact with at a in a store or a restaurant or anything is rude to you um just you know mildly mm. rude like you uh you're pushing your cart up in the grocery store and you get like a foot away from the person in front of you and they turn and they're like excuse you you know every <laughs> every time well, what would the cashier do um, I mean, she's gonna, uh, he or she, uh, that was 
<laughs> Whoa! Should we edit that out? <laughs> uh, the cashier will ring you up. Um, will act professional, but will um, make exaggerated eye rolls in judgment of what you're buying. I see. It's like low grade annoyance constantly in your life, being like you just constant, and and also traffic lights. Yeah. Um, I would have to choose the traffic lights because I know a lot of back roads. I can just use stop signs a lot, and um, I can try to uh, like highway. I mean, I don't I don't drive that much. I interact with people more than I drive through lights, and also I feel like. At a light, when you stop there, it's annoying, but it's okay. I'm not going to get super angry. If I get, like, constant, like, human rudeness thrown towards me, that will be really a big test for my uh, mindfulness action, which I'm I'm going the other way. Uh, You know, I don't don't drive a car, but I ride a bike. Yeah. Um, And it's just a pain in the ass to have to stop all the time. It's true. uh, I'd be more likely to run – more lights and put myself at great risk. Whereas I go out, I'll just put in some headphones. You should uh, ignore put, it. Yeah, put in some sunglasses. Yeah, just every, every, if you're going to be a dick to me, I'm just going to ignore you in return. That's a great attitude. How long have you been biking? Um, probably about five five years now. Oh, okay. You're new to the game. Perfect. Any questions for me? Um, not really. I, you know, how's, uh, I was going to say, how's your podcast? It's your podcast, obviously excellent. uh, It's a really quality content podcast. We just need it to grow more and I need to do a better job branding and marketing. Um, but I think the conversations that happen here deliver some really good laughs and learning. And that's all I'm really about. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, you know, happy to come back anytime. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Maybe you can do a recurring with Gerada. That'd be actually a lot.